Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings. Welcome to the Corporate Majlis Podcast, where we chat with successful Muslims and learn about their journey in the corporate world. I'm your host, Ali, and each week I have a guest from the Muslim community. We discuss their successes, their challenges, and a lot more. In this episode, we talk to Ramzi Lamoudi and discuss his career to date, how he went from wanting to be a civil engineer to becoming a teacher and then a social entrepreneur, and now a senior customer success manager in the edutech industry. Starting from where I'm at at the moment, uh, so I'm working as a senior customer success manager at an edutech company. Um, so in my role, I work heavily with uh, higher education institutes and assisting them with their digital strategy um, around delivering education to students um, and uh, for teachers to develop content. So where I am right now, um, I couldn't imagine. I was there perhaps uh, 10 years ago. Um, my road track was um, initially stepping out of university was going into engineering um, and after spending a year in engineering and civil engineering it was not for me and I knew it wasn't for me because I got kicked out uh, I didn't do any of the work um, but at that point I took a year gap and realized that you know trying to realign yourself and understand who you are what's your passions what's going to connect you to you know essentially when you commit to full-time work you have to understand you're spending approximately 40 hours of your week there and that becomes your lifestyle so what you choose as a career is going to be like quite significant so make sure you choose something that you're passionate about and enjoy and so forth um so at least one thing i realized when i was about 18 19 is that i liked socializing and i like being with people so engineering wasn't the gig you know you're doing formulas you're doing all these calculations and it's like yeah nah i'm out of here or they made that choice for me essentially uh the university um, so I went into uh, education and early childhood education uh, initially and then primary education. Um, I loved teaching. I loved making connections with students um, and other teachers. Uh, but there was so much paperwork that bogged me down and took away out of the passion of mm -hmm. teaching. Um, so naturally with that, um, I wanted something more exciting. Um, so I went into um, some startup work. So uh, that startup work worked in two, two aspects. Uh, one with the community or across social entrepreneurship, you know, when we see... Um, when we see problems in the community, right? So one key thing that, you know, myself and a couple of others saw was the education system and the lack of um, services available for uh, Muslims um, and particularly focusing on character development. Uh, so I worked with uh, a Malaysian organization to attempt to bring an uh, education program here down to Sydney or an education philosophy for a specific school. Um, that was a great experience. Picked up a lot of project management, picked up a lot of um, stakeholder management skills, um, and then also as part of that on the side, as a sort of side hustle to a side hustle, uh, was doing our own startup, which focused on uh, connecting university graduates uh, to working professionals. And the reason that we set up this system or a program for this was you would have university students who chose a degree, were passionate about a degree, and again, it's probably self-reflecting on my own situation here, um, thinking you want to go into a specific field, but having no idea what that professional experience is going to be like. Um, so as a result of that, they do a four-year degree, five-year degree, step into the workforce, like, I hate my life. Um, so, you know, being able to connect to the future you, i.e. that professional that you want to aspire to become, uh, was, was a platform we were trying to build as an education technology uh, company. Uh, we quickly ran out of money after two years of doing that. Um, there was a lot of interest, but uh, not enough to uh, sustain uh, family and you know the things that you need to do to live um, so then eventually at that point I made the transition to working full-time for another edutech company um, where I am currently uh, working 
and um, and the key thing, key part of this role, um, and again that tra- that continuancy here is working with people, assisting people, um, and that's my role as a customer success manager. Yeah. And you're still doing that in that education space, so you haven't really left. You're just on the other side now, right? I'm still in the depth of the education space. I'm just not a practitioner yes. um, of teaching the end user or the student. Um, in that sense, it's more enabling mm. uh, through technology is educational institutions. And that's essentially my passion right at the end of the day. Um, growing up, I, uh, I observed and watched my father working quite heavily with the community, assisting with uh, people who are migrating to Australia, getting settled in, um, helping out with the local masajid, um, getting those set up, dealing with the paperwork, the council and so forth. So. Um, I grew up uh, being the youngest with my father, attending uh, various meetings all around uh, Sydney, Australia, doing his thing. Um, so um, it sort of came very natural um, to that extent to assist these um, users of our product or the company that I work for um, to enable them to use, light, use the product and create more impact mm. broadly in that sense. In terms of your, I guess, your day-to-day customers or your clients, are you looking, mm. are you working a lot with like schools or universities or a bit of both? Yes, all around the shop. So if you talk about the education industry, uh, specifically here in Australia, you look at it in three branches. You've got vocational education, K-12 and higher ed. Um, so that's in Australia. So I no longer work in the Australian market. So when I first started working, um, for this particular organization, I worked in Australia, New Zealand, but my passion and my aspiration is more of a global one. You know, as a Muslim community, um, we know that we're connected across the globe and you want to make an impact, then we have to think globally. Um, so I took on every opportunity to take on global accounts. So accounts that were so managing. Uh, so right now at this point, I'm managing Southeast Asia. Um, and Southeast Asian market is way more exciting um, in the sense of it's a developing market. Many of the countries are developing and emerging markets. Um, things are changing dramatically and very quickly in those regions. And uh, predominantly for me personally, it's it's the learning process, understanding different cultures, what solutions they need in those regions, and what, um, I guess, a lot of these developed countries with their existing processes can pretty much be adopted in those regions. So would it be safe to assume that your client base is predominantly Muslim? The countries that I work in are strongly um, Catholic mm. based. And it's actually been a really nice experience, to be honest. So you talk about, you know, living in a Western country where religion is perhaps not as held so highly, right? It's not part of governance. You know, they separate the state and uh, religion and so forth. It's not really embedded uh, per se. And that's perhaps uh, my personal experience here in Australia. Um, but when you go to some countries, uh, one example is the Philippines is um, predominantly um, a Catholic nation. So in all our engagements, in uh, many of our engagements, when it's a formal, you know, they would start with their Catholic prayers at the beginning. Um, and I think as a Muslim, what's really what's really nice about this is that there is a sense of deen. Uh, although it's not our deen, but is there's a recognition for the fact of God, existence of God, existence of a higher being, and that having place in everything you do. So being really able to connect with them on that, and they, all my clients know that I'm Muslim, I eat halal, so when I do travel overseas um, in these situations, it's like, oh yeah, Rams is Muslim, all right, so we give him vegetarian if we don't have any halal meat and so forth. Um, it's very respectful um, in that situation. So um, no, I would say it's not a Muslim, predominantly Muslim workplace, uh, sorry, uh, client based but it is most certainly um, most certainly one that holds religion to a higher esteem than um, I guess working more so in the Australian region. You've been at your um, current place of work for I'd say a couple of years now. Yeah. You've managed to build that trust. Mm. How do you practice religion 
and how mm. do you make sure others around you know your boundaries mm. but at the same time have everybody trust you and um, you know are okay with it mm. how does that work yeah interesting question um, and a question that I think a lot of us ask and I feel that a lot of that you know with that question itself it puts a lot of onus on the individual um, to say how do you make sure everyone is okay with you um, or you practicing or you being you and the onus shouldn't be on on us per se but more so more so the organization right they should have a culture where it's open where people should be comfortable bringing the whole selves to the workplace um, so when I first initially started working in the corporate space, that's exactly the way I thought, is the fact of how do I make sure I position myself and make things, uh, ha- make sure that I can practice my dean and make sure everyone's comfortable around that. Um, and after spending a couple of years, uh, you know, several years in the workplace, just like, no, screw that. It's not my responsibility for these people to feel uh, comfortable. Um, and I'm being very upfront in this sense, but rather they should take the initiative to learn um, uh, certain aspects, which is perhaps not mainstream, right? Um, so. Let me frame it this way. Um, The stereotypes, you know, being a Muslim or being a minority in Australia, um, you have certain perspectives of going to full-time work and what you hear about those fears of, you know, the more conservative people, I'm not going to full-time work because there's a drinking culture, um, you won't find time to do Jum'ah and so forth, right? <laughs> Which, or, or, or where are you going to go do with the Yeah, where are you going to do with the you going to put your foot in the sink. So that's a trick here, right? You don't put your foot in the sink. You just go to the toilet, you close the cubicle and you dip your foot inside. <laughs> Bro, that's yeah. a great if you, want, if you want clean water, right, you flush it and get that fresh water coming down. All right, that's a joke. Uh, just for the record, <laughs> do not do that. Um, but uh, so, so yeah, coming into the workplace, uh, alhamdulillah, so the, the, when I made the transition into the corporate, um, I had a Muslim, a Muslim network in the existing business. So all my questions and everything that I need to address, I directed to this sister. And specifically, I'm using sister term here because um, a lot of us, you know, as we move from the community and more conservative space and we're moving to the professional workplace, um, you know, probably taboo to say, oh, I spoke to a sister yeah. or I'm engaging with a sister and so forth. Um, but it was a professional professional, um, professional relationship and uh, with the sister, she gave me the full lowdown. She's actually the one that gave me the reference into uh, that transitional job, right? So she's the one that gave me a foot up and I knew this sister from the Datwa space because uh, we did Datwa projects uh, collectively uh, with other members of the community. Um, so she actually gave me the foot up in this sense. Um, so she gave me the full lowdown on um, I pray here, um, they're cool. They don't mind. Um, if you need to do other you might obviously just speak to your manager and so forth. I pretty much had to speak to the director and let them know because I was about to travel to headquarters, uh, which is based in the US. And um, like, oh, do you need anything, etc. Um, and what had happened is that I kept asking for an access pass to a specific room. Uh, inside the building, which was just like a marketing room. Uh, But only the marketing person had access and only the general manager. So the top dog had access to that space. Um, And my director as well, sorry, there was three, right? But you can see that it's the top dogs and the marketing person. So I always had to ask for that pass. It's like, oh, um, do you mind if I get access to the marketing room? I was like, yeah, oh yeah, no worries. One time. And then the next day, do you mind if I get access to the marketing room? Second time, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was like, I think I should sort of like just tell them why I'm going there so there's not all this suspicion. Um, do you mind if I have access to the marketing room just so I could do my prayer? I was like, oh, you need to do your prayers. 
um, tell me what do you need? What do you need to, you know, do this? I'm like, oh, just a small space is fine. Like, no, no, don't go to the marketing room. That place is like a sauna. Let me find a meeting room for you. Um, so my director actually found space for me in a, in a very nice open cubicle, which had beautiful water views and so forth, which is amazing, right? It was really nice of him. Um, and that was all sorted. And then the GM, the general manager came up to me shortly after. I was like, Ramsey, um, is there anything else you need just like to be able to fulfill uh, whatever you need to do? Um, and yeah, they just, so that was a nice gesture. And then from that point, they also communicated with the headquarters team as I was going to travel there for training um, that, hey, do you mind arranging a room for Ramsey to do his breakfast? Um, so that was like a massive like, well, that's pretty cool. I mm. feel quite comfortable and quite open here because of that experience. Alhamdulillah, it's, it's amazing when you know you have employers who actually care about you. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And they go out of their way to make sure you're comfortable. Yeah, um, and that's sure. such a great like feeling when you're like, well, yeah. these guys are doing all these things yeah. for me. And you know what? It's interesting that the way we're even speaking about it, it's yeah. like, oh, wow, it's so nice. But you know what? It should be an expected that's norm right. yeah. in all workplaces, in all places where there's going to be a diverse uh, talent that you need to accommodate to the different needs. And I think as we move forward in time and as this becomes more apparent with the things that are happening, for example, in the US mm. and you know, all the, um, yeah, you know, all these different, matter. that's right, and all these different changes that are coming about, I feel like we're getting there. Mm. We're slowly getting there. It's not, it's not taboo anymore to say, oh, I'm religious and I need to pray or I need mm. to find a way. You know, I used to at times, if I didn't want to say I want to pray, I'd say I need to go meditate. <laughs> right. More of a socially understandable. Right. So I need to go meditate. I need my, you know, I need a nice little. You need room, your zen quiet, space. Zen space, quiet room, which has a lock, hopefully. And, I mean, I, I realize eventually I'm like, what? Am, who am I kidding? Like, just yeah. be straight up, man. Yeah. You got a beard. You're a Muslim. You tell people you're not drinking, and like they've probably done the maths anyway. Yeah. Just be straight up and be like, look, I'm yeah. a Muslim. I need a room. Can we please make sure we have that? A lot of the spaces that I've worked in now have those multi sort of multi-faith, uh, multi-faith rooms quiet and, rooms and so you can obviously go in but then a lot of people take naps in them as well mm. which is kind of annoying because when the thought rolls around there's someone napping and then you're like mm. bro do i go wake him up or what <laughs> like, use him as your sutra <laughs> brother <laughs> bro you stay sleeping i'm just gonna do my thing here. Like, well if, you, if you're gonna sleep can you sleep over here where it's not in front of the kibla what yeah. kibla <laughs> what is it kibla Talk to me about how you've implemented the religious teachings that you know of and, and the parallels in religion mm. and then the successes that you've seen in your career. How have you used those teachings to make sure you are successful and you follow the footsteps of the Prasarasana and the teachings that you've picked up on over the years? Yeah, interesting question. And that's a question, you know, uh, that... Uh, you know, speaking to many other Muslims working in the corporate space that we continuously ask. Um, and I go with a real strong philosophy around this of the sense that, you know, I don't divide the work, the full-time work that I do as my Islamic practice, where a lot of brothers, you know, state the fact that I'm just here to make cash and uh, sustain myself and move on. I mean, that's, that's no criticism of that, but um, in, my, in my understanding overall, to make most impact and make most use of your time, you know, choose a career that if you have that opportunity, and again, if you have that opportunity, um, choose a career that aligns strongly with your beliefs, your passions, and so forth, and use it as a means of ibadah. Um, so for my overall, you know, starting on that point, number one, is being very purposeful um, in their approach. So alhamdulillah with Islam and the deen, it gives you a very clear direction of um, the purpose of our existence, which is seeking the pleasure of Allah, um, or sorry, uh, worshipping Allah, um, and that's the primary purpose that he's created us for. 
Um, so how are we going to do this and what's our, what's our roadmap to achieve this? You know, you know there's, there's various ways you can undertake this, uh, but the way that I've essentially listed out for myself uh, is, is simply put is that I want to uh, be an enabler um, in the broader society, um, right? So um, that's through the education space at the moment um, and enabling it through technology, um, learning all the necessary skills. And um, with these skills, I hope, and again, this is like quite a cliche one when uh, a Muslim starts stepping into full-time work in corporate from going to Dawa, is the fact that I want to go into the corporate space, pick up all the professional skills and then come back and quit and uh, go back into you know the community development and so forth, which generally doesn't happen because they're going from like a really fat salary to nothing and they've already built their entire lifestyle around it. So, you know, that whole aspect of dunya is a is a pertinent one in these, these situations. Um, but I'm... I'm tricky question that you placed there but essentially what it sets for me right is eventually i want to go back into uh social entrepreneurship um going into business on my own um building out a business um with a meaningful outcome no doubt like many of the businesses that we may work in and i know we've had this discussion previously with many other uh brothers working in the space is the fact of you know these business these businesses that exist you know have aspirational goals but how much of them are really sticking to it or is it just the bottom line that they're mm. looking to achieve? Mm. Um, so look, in reality, what I'm hoping to do is move back into social entrepreneurship, um, address real world problems um, uh, for those who need it, the under underprivileged and so forth. And particularly right now, um, as I'm doing my corporate career and so forth and building that out and picking up these necessary skills, I've just most recently uh, been elected into a local Muslim charity as an executive board member um, in order to drive the drive the charity um, forward. Um, so create further impact with that. Um, one driving driving fundraising and revenue for them, uh, but most importantly is the outcome of uh, delivering food to schools. Um, so children are encouraged to go to school and learn because they're going to be fed there. Um, because you know it's a burden, not a burden, but they don't have that same opportunity of just knowing the food's going to be on the table all the time. Um, so not only those children get fed, but their families also get fed based on the fact that they're attending school, mm. right? So that's essentially what I'm doing as a side hustle, um, as social on the social entrepreneurship side. Um, so yeah, so all of them link into that fact of building up skills um, in in the corporate space and then still working in the nonprofit space um, uh, and giving up my time and skills there. If you do, how do you do da'wah in a corporate setting? Oh, damn. Well, put it this way, yeah. So, defining da'wah, right? Um, I'm not going to go into the, the depths of this, but I'm more going to go into people's perception, um, like the general layman's perception of da'wah, right? Um, you know, immediately when you, someone says da'wah, first thing that comes to my mind is street da'wah. You know, there's brothers going out, or brothers and sisters going out on the street or on university campus, um, handing out flyers, having conversations and so forth, which is most certainly part of it. Um, but I think one brother who also went from the community, joined the corporate space, said very, said quite abruptly and straightforwardly uh, to me or general group, it's the fact of, I'm going to work to work to get money, not to convert these guys to Islam <laughs> or try to spread the message of Islam in this workplace. I just need money to feed myself. So yeah, exactly, right? Um, so I think there's some truth to that, right? There's some truth to that. It's like, um, um, so so in the sense of like my my personal approach overall, it's the fact of, you know, you're Muslim, right? You, you act and hold yourself as a Muslim. You have principles as a Muslim. 
Um, and when you conduct and do business, you're not going to cheat, you're not going to be dishonest, you're not going to undercut, you're not going to do all these things, which is generally should be a norm for mm. the general uh, workplace or general people that interact with regards of Muslim or not Muslim. Um, and as a Muslim, you hold firmly to that regardless of whatever the circumstance or however toxic the situation is. Um, so, you know, that's one key aspect holding firmly to is your principles uh, in the deen and regardless of the changing circumstances in the workplace or the culture, you continue to hold firmly onto that. Um, and then also, if there's if people are inquiring and asking you about that, then straight up, yeah, you know, I'm not going to hide my religion. I'm not going to hide who I am. Um, and that's, I'm going to bring my whole self to work. Mm. Um, so that in itself is um, going to put out the message indirectly. Um, so making sure that, you know, people are, are at least aware of the yeah. din. Um, and then I think the last part to that is, is I guess the approach with a lot of conversation around diversity and inclusion. Mm. Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and around different uh, minorities and communities, you know, and, and as Muslims, we fall into that category uh, in the Western world. Um, so, so, you know, utilizing those opportunities to, um, I guess, put forward, um, what you understand and what you believe and your principles that may differ from, you know, principles of other faiths, other groups and so forth, um, to ensure one, ensure your needs are being delivered at work. You feel comfortable. You are able to bring your whole self to work. Um, and then I think a secondary one to that is the fact of, you know, naturally as a result of that, again, people are just going to become familiar of the norms and practices of Muslims. Um, so, you know, I take that approach and then more with more explicit approaches, more outside of work. Um, I don't, I don't really want to say that I mix the two in a very direct way. Right. Uh, put it this way, right? Um, people will criticize this. Oh, you're a sellout. Look at you. You're just finding any excuse to do this. But let's flip, let's flip the script, right? Let's flip the script that a Muslim works at a corporate space. He's a guy that lies, cheats, undercuts, sells out people and so forth. He has a nice, beautiful beard. So on Fridays, he might come in like a little more nicely dressed, maybe with a qamis. Uh, and, and then naturally, what are people's impressions of, of Muslims, right? These guys are, this guy, this one Muslim guy that I know, he's the dirtbag of the earth and he, he undercuts us and all that, yada, yada, yada. And, and everyone would agree that, you know what, that is damaging for a person's perspective and understanding of the religion because it's not a true representation so doing quite the opposite is going to you know result in in the opposite i want to talk a bit more about the the learning opportunities you've had the mistakes you've made Mm. what are some of those things that if you could go back in time Mm. and could change or do differently what would those be interesting question so if i could go back if i could go back um in time um you know, we can't, we have these pre uh, preconceived notions, these biases, these ways of looking at the world, right? And growing up in the Muslim community, um, in a more so conservative uh, community, uh, to say the least, is that, and as migrants to the Western world, to Australia and so forth, we've grown up with parents of the sense of trying to and again, this is not everyone's experience. Um, I can say this with myself and many other uh, brothers and sisters that I know, is that it's more of the fact of how do we protect our children from the vices of living in, in this country and make sure they hold on to their dean. So when you talk about the corporate world and you hear about the corporate world, uh, you have to go to the bar and you have to drink, you have to network, you have to do all this and so forth, which is like, which is concerning to someone who doesn't drink, who, who practices, who tries to avoid those situations. And 
similar to the stereotypes, you know, and again, these principles and the ways of thinking around the world, you know, as Muslims, we complain about the fact of, oh, people think we're terrorists, we're put as stereotypes of being violent, we're put as stereotypes of being X, Y, Z, but where's equally as guilty of doing that to the uh, to whatever society or community that we're looking uh, looking into, right? So stepping into you know the corporate workplace is that assumption that I'm going to step in this workplace where they're not going to accept my dean, where they're uh, they're going to be um, asking me to go out and drink. They're going to um, if I don't drink, if I don't go out, if I don't be the same, then I'm not going to get that promotion. I'm not going to be able to advance in my career, and that is absolute trash. Mm. Footnote in some context, <laughs> because then I don't want to. So the thing is. Um, I don't want to say that that's the norm for everywhere, but most certainly it's mixed, right? There's there's a mix of Muslim communities. There's a mix of you know how the Arabs conduct themselves, how the Asians conduct themselves because of the cultural context that they grew up in, and likewise here is that you know depending on the culture of the workplace, the industry, the people you work with, their background, their understanding of the world, um, you can't paint a clear brush over mm-hmm. everything. So the goal and lesson that I've learned is always go in with a blank canvas, whatever your situation is, do your research about the people, the grouping, the individuals, the organization, um, and understand what their culture of business practice is. Go in and then uh, learn about the people, be genuine in your learning and understanding, and then merge merge the both together to, um, I guess, decide how to proceed in that environment and if it's the right environment for you. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of my approach. If it sounds, if it's clear, in the sense of the biggest learning, just to summarize that point, is go in with a blank canvas, seek to understand your situation, the people you're around, the context that you work in, and then make decisions and calls on how to how to determine if this is the right place for you um, or not. What are some of those challenges that you face on a day to day basis because you're a Muslim? So this is more of a personal challenge, I'll say. Um, you know, before going to full-time work or going to the corporate space or going to full-time teaching, um, you know, whatever's going to consume your time is the question of how do I continue to still find time to learn about my dean, to continue my progress and understanding around that space so I continue to get closer to a lines or whatever. And naturally, and we're all familiar with this, is that we plateau in knowledge and we plateau in learning, either professional or, you know, uh, Islamic um, and when you plateau, there's only one way. It's up or down. You, don't, you ain't going to sit there, buddy. Uh, that's the reality. And if you're not increasing your space in regards to understanding your faith, your religion, your relationship with Allah, your understanding of the Prophet Muhammad naturally, your Iman and all that is going to go down yeah. to a certain extent. And obviously, you don't want to hit rock bottom, but neither do you want it to go down. Right, the goal for our existence and so forth is to gain, gain closeness to Allah. So that in itself is the challenge, the time challenge. Mm. You know, with two children, uh, two children, a wife, a family, to ensure that um, have their due right upon you as a husband, as a father, um, as your employers, as your as an employee to your employer, um, and then the community. You know, right? um, giving back to the community, make sure you're investing that. And then on top of all that, then you got the learning, your own personal learning. So that's one in itself is of. Uh, one of the biggest challenges. Um, and then I guess the second challenge overall is a transition. Um, going from a very, you select your environment, you know, you're in the university, you're in the MSA, uh, you're doing casual work here and there, um, but overall, you are selecting your environments and where you want to be. Mm. But immediately when you start to be employed by an employer, choose a workplace that you need to work at and so forth, your choice becomes less and the implications are much more. 
right? So when you start full-time work, you've got a salary, you need to pay for it, you need to look after your children, etc. Um, and so um, your choice of that environment has all these other influences, right? Can you bear this environment or not? Is it good for your dean or not? But what are the practical aspects if I don't find another job um, on my family, on my livelihood, on whatever the case may be? Um, just the stresses of life. Yeah, stresses of life. They just catch up to you. And, you know, it's easy to say, just drop everything and, you know, have trust in Allah and move forward um, and quit if, you know, if it's not the right place and so forth. And you know what? There is some truth to that. But uh, no doubt, tie your camel. Do it in the way that is uh, that's going to be appropriate. That doesn't um, doesn't uh, doesn't take away the rights of others mm. in that process. Um, so yeah, it's that's that's the challenge. You know, all these conflicting conflicting influences around decisions you need to make, and then making sure you choose a strategy that is the best strategy, and also one that is pleasing to Allah. Mm. So basically, try to keep Allah at the forefront, and obviously tie your camel which means you do your hard work you do all your you know you put in your effort in all of this but then have trust in him mm. to get you to that point yeah for sure that's exactly it right and that's in theory in theory, right? in theory. what is it in practicality in practicality right? is the fact that you continue to check your heart and you continue to associate all your success and development to allah mm. and that's the part where if you lose that you know we talk about those challenges is that when you start to plateau and you start to lose that sight of your deen your relationship with allah and he's no longer in the picture, mm. then naturally you're going to pin down success to yourself. That's it. And the environment and whatever the case is. Two kids, a wife, mm. doing an MBA, mm. got side hustles. How do you find time, bro? Like, how do you, where do you get the time from? What is it? Is there a special dua you make for Allah to bless your time? Like, please tell me because it's yeah. very hard to find time these days. Yeah, for sure. So, so I'll, I'll talk about, I guess, how I sort of, get into these odd situations where it feels like, you know, you say you're too busy at a certain point, but then you start adding more and more. Um, and this is on the assumption that you already know how to say no. You already know how to say like, no, nah, man, I'm not doing that project. I'm not doing this. I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna hang out with you today. You know, when you already clearly set the boundaries because you know you're busy, but you feel the necess necessity to take on more on certain points uh, in time. So um, uh, I guess there's the, there's the Dini aspect around this of the fact of, um, the purpose, you know, right? what is the purpose of your existence? Um, you know, what, what roadmap have you designed in order to achieve uh, the pleasure of Allah and so forth? So all these things that I've meant, all the things that you've mentioned there of family, children, um, my postgraduate studies, MBA, my full-time work and so forth. And then we're talking about the side hustle as well on top of all that is the fact that these all align to the purpose that I'm doing. Um, so firstly, one, does it align to the purpose of what I'm trying to achieve in this world? Secondly, is the fact of uh, time is a limited resource, mm. no doubt. Um, but no success is granted unless Allah allows you that. So there is a restriction of time, there's a restriction of financial resources, of uh, how much bandwidth your family can bear with you coming in and out or disappearing for a couple of days. Um, but Allah is the grantor of all these mm. things mm. and He can do as He wishes around this. So the second piece to that is understanding the purpose, making dua to Allah and then committing to whatever you've put yourself down to and if you're unable to then being frank and letting go where necessary right um so that's that's the that's the big picture approach um and then the second the more practical approach is being uh, having a being a person who has so much responsibility with family work etc as everyone generally would have is the fact of getting permission 
from your key stakeholders, i.e. your wife. <laughs> the boss of the, <laughs> the, house, boss of the house. Home minister right there. Um, so straight up, whenever I take on anything new, uh, I'm like, Seema, uh, my wife, Seema, uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts around me taking this job? Uh, what are your thoughts around me going on this non-profit board? What are your thoughts of me doing an MBA? And straight away, she's like, okay, here's what you've talked about, your vision and what you want to achieve. Uh, that seems a bit, <laughs> I think you're getting excited and it has nothing to do with it, just leave it. Um, but then there's the other side where it does align. And she's like, look, if it aligns, why are you doing it? Fisbillah, um, it aligns with my vision, etc." It's like, Halas, go ahead. Like, oh, wait, hold on. But you don't understand the implications this will have on the time that we spend together, time I spend with the kids, etc. And she's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Like, just get it. Yeah, just say Bismillah yeah. and do it. Yeah, I need two weeks down the track, three weeks down the track. Where are you? I need help. Come home. <laughs> I think it's the implication of time that doesn't get translated. And it's it's interesting on this point as well is because there's no cheat sheet. Mm. There's no book. There's no way you can tell what the future is going to hold for you. But the only way for you to do that is obviously through uh, dua and seeking Allah's assistance. And the second aspect is experience. Mm. Like you see it with young people um, who are early in life, they'll just take on so much but they can't hold all that. No. And then over time, you start to trim it down. You, it's, it's all trial and error, right? And that's where you have to be able to say no to certain things. Yeah. I want also to learn a little bit more about outside of work, mm. passions, hobbies. I know you've got all these side hustles which are part of that passion mm. as well, right? But then what else do you like to do? I know you enjoy hiking, mm. like being out there. What are mm. some of those things? I don't know where you got that impression. Probably Bro, your from WhatsApp picture WhatsApp always are hiking pictures. <laughs> so I feel like that's what you do when you're out outside of work. You're just hiking somewhere. My wife loves hiking. She does, all right. I love my wife. <laughs> so I will follow with what she says about hiking. Got it. So you love hiking, basically. <laughs> by by two-step process. Yeah. Transitive property. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, as you mentioned, right, all those things that, you know, investing into the my postgraduate studies mm. in the side hustles, those, those are things like, Let's talk about pre-marriage. Those are all things that I just naturally did as, as on the side and that I was passionate about, right? Um, and that that was my game. That was what I enjoyed and I would not do many, many other things out of that. Mm. Socializing, socializing will be with those side hustles, with exactly. uh, those postgraduate studies or whatever you're doing. Um, and so that was my perspective of taking care of time and doing things. So I wouldn't spend too much time socializing and doing those things. Um, I felt that was a waste of time. I felt that um, I need to I need to get to my goals and do what I need to do. Um, after getting married, after having children, after having my own family, and um, and you know working in different workplaces and cultures, um, I've thrown that entire perspective out the window. Right? Um, I still have it. I still want to do all those things, but relationships are you know one of the strongest points. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, one is socializing, spending time with the brothers, just naturally, just hanging out, having coffee, having a chat building that brotherhood, spending time with the family, going out hiking, going out, doing road trips and so forth to make sure I spend time and build a relationship there. Um, and then look, to be honest, other than that, like, so it's relationships, make sure that I maintain and um, care about the people that are important to me. And then all the rest is Just the habits. things that you mentioned, yeah. right? The side hustle. So, you know, going out hiking, seeing the sunrise, all those things, it's dependent on the people that I'm hanging That's out with it, and yeah. what they want to and do. And then the time that they give you as well. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to happen. And I know I have that experience with my little 20-month-old. You want you plan something out nicely and then she's going to throw some kind of spanner in the works and you're going to go, screw it, forgets. <laughs> the else. best advice I, I got given when I was uh, when I had my first child, it's like, Ramsey, I know you have a Google calendar with all your things that you're going to do for the day, but trust me, to save yourself the stress, chuck that out the window and just go, 
when the baby needs to do something, we we'll follow the baby and <laughs> do as it goes. The baby and is the Google Calendar now. That is that is. <laughs> <laughs> How do you develop personally? Yeah, so um, it's been interesting, right? Um, you know, when you step in the corporate space and so forth. Um, the business content is glorified of like, oh, look at this business strategy. Oh, look at what this recent professor had dropped and look at this framework of management consulting and so forth. And no doubt these are really useful and I find them useful because they're practical in your day-to-day mm-hmm. where you're spending the 40 hours. This is immediately practical of what you can invest and do. So naturally, as a result of that, where I spend a lot of time, which is work, um, I gravitate to a lot of that and hence the reason undertaking my MBA. Um, but however, you know, the drive for me is the practical piece. When I start seeing myself move away from the traditional, uh, learning about traditional Islamic uh, content and learnings, it gives a big red flag for me because the fact of I'm reading this content, but I'm not finding practicality out of it, mm. which tells me the fact of why am I not finding this practical? And what I've identified for myself personally is that um, uh, is the fact of Perhaps I'm not practicing to its full extent certain parts of the deen that I need to, or I'm not giving enough focus and concern about some of these things. So as a result of that, I have to like sort of flick on a switch and change my mindset. Um, So now to address your question, you know, what are the go-to pieces for me? Um, So one is understanding of context. You know, we learn about a lot of Islamic uh, learnings and so forth, but a lot of the time there's a massive disconnect between your day-to-day Uh, context versus what's being taught so finding speakers or finding uh, Muslim speakers or Muslim teachers who understand that experience um, is important right so a lot of shiok that I engage with were ones who previously were working in the corporate space who are ex-engineers ex-directors and so forth who picked up their bags and flipped the script and studied overseas and decided to become an Islamic scholar Um, those are the ones that I gravitate more so towards because Mm -hmm. they understand the context they could address the questions and concerns that uh, I may have, right? Um, and they speak the same language, right? When they're making analogies and they're trying to draw an image for you, it's no longer about, um, yeah, a lot of times like MSA's analogies, Numan Al Khan is really good at that. His target market is clearly MSA, but sort of at this point in my life, it's a sort of disconnect for some of the content that he delivers. Um, but there's other people such as uh, Dr. Yasser Qadi, uh, one that amazing. I, amazing, yeah. amazing, right? The way he delivers his content, um, how how specific uh, it can be. Um, and one of the local ones that I recently discovered was uh, Sheikh Ahmed uh, Al-Haggag, I think his surname is. I literally met him a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, previously uh, an engineer working in the corporate space and then picking up his bag, traveling overseas, Egypt, Yemen, studying there and he's here for like several weeks. I've been sitting in his lectures and it's been absolutely fantastic and gravitating towards that. Um, so that's one piece of those learnings. Um, but still, um, that's 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 the people who I guess connecting with in the media, but still we're looking to get that traditional contact from you know the general speakers, the general books that you pick up and read. So still attending classes and so forth um, to make sure I still have that connection. Um, and then the second piece when it comes to, when it comes to professional content, you know, I, I, um, depend on really great, like HBI is fantastic. Love reading through HBI articles and journals. Um, the consulting firm articles, uh, such as McKenzie's, uh, BCG's, um, and so forth. And then uh, and then doing my MBA. So the MBA sort of like solidified all that for me is the fact of, all right, should, I should just stop picking up pieces of knowledge here and there and actually go through a form process where my learning will be recognized. I could essentially get a promotion or a jump based on it. Um, and where I don't have to think about what am I learning next, what resources am I getting, and I'm sitting there down with 
professors who are actually management consultants or have professional experience in the space and now are teaching around it. So yeah, those are the two key areas. Interesting. Working from home these days, right? Mm. How's that going for you? Working from home depends. I had to move because work from home was terrible from my old place. Um, so yeah, working from home, my home wasn't designed for working from home. My kids are not designed for working from home. They have no concept of, I'm at work, I can't talk. Wait, I'm in a meeting, get out of the video. <laughs> uh, there's no contact, it's just Baba, we want to play. Baba, we want to do this. Yeah, so it's, it's fun and exciting in that sense. So two aspects, one is my, it was difficult initially. Um, one, because of the structure of my home and the way it was designed was for living and not for working. Um, so mid pandemic, I decided to move homes one because you get the COVID discount at yes. this time. So you're making a good, uh, good buck on the rental prices at this way. Um, and then secondly is that when you spend so much time at home, you sort of have to turn it into your jannah. You know, it's no, no longer the fact of you walking around and so forth. So I moved to a place which was much more greener for my family. So my wife would have to drive out to take the kids out and mm. get them stress relief and so forth. And Alhamdulillah given us that opportunity, um, in that sense. So. We moved homes, um, got a larger place or a place that was more segregated. I have more private space to do my work. The kids have more opportunity to just step out the doorstep, go into the park. Um, and um, and my wife finds it more homely in that sense as well. So that reduces stress. And so how is work from home going? Uh, adjusting to it and enjoying it. But I still find times to uh, go out and work from an office just for a little while here and there, um, just to break things up. What do you think is going to happen after this pandemic, whenever this ends? Do you think we're going back into the offices? Do you think it's going to be a slightly different take on how we work from the offices? Yeah. What do you think? One, the world's going to absolutely change and flip in the sense of what is necessary and not necessary. One thing that it really brought me to brought brought to mind for me was pollution. Like you see these all these developing countries that have the ridiculous amount of pollution, and suddenly COVID hits, everyone's staying at home. There is literally no pollution at all in the mm. sky. Um, as a result of that, when we're talking about I guess carbon emissions and uh, global warming and so forth, do we actually have a solution for that? I think we are closer to that now of those problems in the world and finding a solution. Can we actually do that change? Yeah, we can. Do we need a global pandemic to do that? Most likely. But the reality is from, you know, the learning around this is that as a human society, you know, we can actually stretch and change things way more than we actually can mm. think, you know. So that's one. Um, secondly is the way of doing business uh, for for professionals um, is the fact of remote work is now a norm, which is great, provides us more flexibility, provides us more lifestyle choices. Um, so that's a massive win. Um, and then thirdly is the importance of tech. Um, I think that is, you know, we've seen the stocks for Zoom, we've seen the stocks for, you know, pretty much all tech companies that don't depend on small to medium businesses to sell, all their stock prices are booming. So I think there's gonna be a massive change uh, to that piece. Um, and to add to that third point is the fact of um, change management when it comes to people who don't understand technology. It's going to be an expected norm that everyone has to be digitally, uh, digital literate, uh, digitally literate. Um, so I think that's going to be you know the three massive changes I see in the industry. Any last parting words? Last parting words. Yeah. So. Um, Parting words, parting words. So I guess to the listeners, depending who you are and where you are um, uh, and why you're probably listening to this podcast is uh, three takeaways. You know, and this is my assumption that you are either a university student considering and going into full-time work or a young professional uh, in this space, or perhaps someone who's working heavily in the community and 
perhaps has it enough, has it had enough of the community, and it's like, oh man, I need to get out and uh, do something different. Um, number one is is the fact of uh, maintain your connection in whatever circumstance or environment you're going to to Allah uh, Maintain that tether, have a tether continuously uh, to Allah, Islam, and your community. Uh, being number one, regardless of what position, what role you undertake in your career, um, and so forth, and let your decisions revolve around that. Uh, that's number one. Um, number two is, you know, Hassan, be excellent in whatever you do. Understand your specific skill set, understand where you want to invest, and be very purposeful of what you get involved in. You know, do not waste your life going into some corporate career. Uh, crunching numbers unless you uh, unless you really enjoy crunching numbers and uh, being a monkey behind a keyboard um, you know try to make ways to find impact in whatever you do um, that's going to be extremely significant um, and then and then thirdly keep the end in mind yeah. you know at the end of the day keep the end in mind every single choice you make it's either going to benefit you in the hereafter or it's going to damage you in the hereafter and just keep that at the forefront because that's going to be your guiding principle and that's going to be where you either benefit from that action or you've just harmed yourself from that action. And you know everything that we do from the salary we get, from the job that we undertake, from the title that we have, from what perception of impact we're making means jackal when at the end of the day, you're gonna be put six feet deep, someone's gonna dig your home just with a basic shovel, mm gonna throw dirt that you walk on over your body and people will come after you, you're gonna fight for all your assets yeah exactly exactly or you sold all for you or you never had assets because mm-hmm. you gave it all inside the mashallah but yeah that would be my three takeaways that's it for today's episode i hope you enjoyed it jazakallah khair for tuning in and giving us your time till next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh